Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Most of us have uh, been to a sporting event. I would I would imagine a live sporting event. If you have, you've you've uh, you you've seen that before. Whether whether it's a basketball game, football game, baseball game, soccer, whatever it is, uh, there there's always this tradition that's the playing and the singing of the national anthem before the tip off or the kickoff. They'll they'll play the song. They'll sing the song and. It's this tradition, you know, you, you stand, you know, head bowed, hand over heart, and it's a time to kind of silently reflect um, for silent reflection. But when the, when the singing of the national anthem is over, then the, the game commences. The, you know, the puck is dropped, the, uh, the kickoff happens, the first pitch happens, whatever it is. The song is done and the game commences, and, and I promise you that once the game starts, no one is thinking about the national anthem. I don't think uh, uh, Goldschmidt is thinking about the national anthem as he's rounding the bases after a home run. I don't think if a blues player, you know, cross-checks somebody into the board, I don't think they're thinking about the national anthem. I don't think... Uh, a city soccer player is, as they're holding possession, I don't think they're thinking about the national anthem. It, it, it's a nice tradition, but it doesn't really have any effect on the game. And I think for, for a lot of us, at least some of us, maybe most of us, that Easter Sunday could be like that. It's a nice tradition, but once a game of life starts on Monday morning, it's not really something we're conscious of. It's not really something we're thinking about. So we come here, and you look fantastic, by the way, and uh, all dressed up. And, you know, because we, 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 of our, it, we get encouraged in our Judea Christian ethic, get a picture taken, because, again, you look so fabulous, and, and we go to brunch or whatever. But then once the game commences, once life begins, you know, we don't, really think about it. Um, I want to today really quickly give you one specific way in which the resurrection matters. It matters on Monday morning. And if you're here and you would say, hey, I'm a church person and, um, you know, you came here, like I said, just because it's tradition or maybe to appease the bold albeit annoying invite of a friend or a family member. Um, I want to give you something to think about as you leave here today. And believe it or not, it comes from the book of Job. Uh, just trust me here. It's going to make sense because here's the verse that I want you to think about and the verse that we'll, I'll chat about for just a few minutes and then we'll move on. Job says, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, or in the end, he will stand upon the earth. How does the resurrection matter to your life? Well, if you've got air in your lungs, trials, tribulation, trouble will come. Again, I don't care if you're a church person or not a church person, or whatever, if you're a vegan, if you're a meat eater, whatever you are. If you're inhaling, if you're exhaling, you're going to experience 
trial. So how does the resurrection matter? Well, the resurrection gives us power. It gives us hope even in the middle of life's worst tragedies, worst troubles. In the 1950s, a young man in his 20s by the name of Glenn Chambers was leaving home for the very first time. He was going on the mission field in Peru. This young man had never really thought about death before, uh, but this moment was a little bit sad. He was excited because he was, you know, he was doing uh, this adventure, but he was sad because, he, again, he was leaving his family for the first time. And at the airport, at Miami airport, he realized that he hadn't really said anything of meaning to his mother. And so he thought, okay, I'm going to write a note. And he didn't have anything to write on, so he grabs a, a piece of paper, a corner of a piece of paper, perhaps, and begins to write this note. And he sticks it in an envelope, and he addresses it to his mother. And he puts a stamp on it, and there's a little mailbox at the airport, puts it in there. And he goes off into his plane. Well, a couple hours later into his flight, unfortunately, his plane crashes into the mountains of Peru. And as you can imagine, this mother's heart, upon hearing this news, uh, I mean, her heart was, was ripped out. Her 20-something-year-old son had died. And, and one of the horrific tragedies of life is any time, you know, a, a parent has to bury a child, something that shouldn't happen. But I know that under the sound of my voice, there are people here um, who've had to do just that. Well, you could imagine that Glenn's mother was surprised when a couple days later she goes to the mailbox and, and sees a, a letter from her now deceased son. And as she opens it up, again, he had written on the corner of a newspaper what stuck out to her, what she saw first were not the words of her son, but the words of the newspaper that just said, why? Why? That's what she was feeling at the moment. Why? Why? Why is this happening? If there's a, a, a word that describes the book of Job, it's why. If there's, a, if there's a word that describes the pain that you experience as you're going through the worst that life has to offer, it's the word why. Why? Is this happening? Here's a man in Job who's just minding his own business one day, and he has the most horrific day in human history. In fact, whether you know much about the Bible, you know this about Job, that he had it bad. He had it really, really Bad Bible in recording these events says that as one servant came, another servant came and gave another report. Just as that servant was finishing, another report comes in, another report comes in, one after the other. So one guy comes and says, hey, you've lost all your livestock. It's gone. And then as he's finishing that, another one comes and says, hey, all your businesses, gone. All your money, gone. And then one comes and says, I hate to tell you, but all 10 of your children are gone. And to add insult to injury, he finds himself head to toe covered in painful boils, one thing after another. I don't know what your household is like, but my household problems tend to come in groups. They don't spread themselves out. They come over with their aunts or uncles or cousins. They have a little family reunion, matching t-shirts. 
And that's with Job. Job found himself in this situation. And again, if you're breathing, this has been your reality, is your reality, and I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, will be your reality. It is a fact of life, and this is Job's plot in life. And then, of course, like any good friends, his friends start to show up, and the first seven days are going really, really well because the Bible says that they just sat there and were silent. By the way, if you're ministering to people who are grieving, don't feel like you have to come with something. They don't need a verse. Sometimes they just need you to show up and shut up. The ministry of presence is really all they need. But these friends can't help themselves after seven days. After seven days of watching his friend day after day suffer in emotional, in physical, in psychological torment, they're like, tell us what you did. Nobody suffers like this unless God is mad at them. Job's like, I haven't done anything. I, I don't, I, I'm, I, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything. And his, even his wife is like, would you just, why did you just give up and die? Just give up and die. I haven't done anything. And, and he's right, not because Job says so. Actually, God says so. At the very beginning of this book, God calls him perfect and upright. But like Job's friends, you and I have the tendency to think that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And when those things got, get crossed, something's wrong. Somebody needs to pay. Somebody needs to be sued. Something isn't, has gone horribly, horribly wrong. And we think that God is upset that this is happening. After all, if he wasn't upset, he should have stopped this. But in the words of Tupac, let me be just so clear, God ain't mad at you. Um, Because maybe you're in like a Job-like season yourself. Maybe you've been wondering, what have I done to deserve this? The answer is God is not mad at you. In fact, if you are in Christ, the Bible says that there is now no condemnation for you. He's not mad at you. He's not copping an attitude. He's not exacting vengeance upon you. This is not uh, the God that we serve. But in this life, even Jesus says that you will have trouble. And, and if you are a Christian, you're not, you don't escape that. In fact, if you understand uh, the gospel's right, you'll, you'll have more trouble. You'll have the trouble that everyone else gets, the common variety. But then you'll have trouble because you follow Jesus, we will suffer. That is what we come to understand about life. And as Americans, we find this both psychologically and emotionally unacceptable. We have so built up self in our culture that anything that threatens control over our own lives is psychological and emotional torment. And so we think that suffering needs to be avoided at all costs because suffering makes us frail. Suffering does not make us frail. 
it only reveals the fact that you've been frail this whole time. And in that sense, suffering is a gift because it tells you who you really are and what you really are. And it causes you to cry out from the depth of your soul for something that feels more permanent, more sturdy than the whims of the day. Job had his life ravished by the storms of life. Nobody had it as bad as Job. And Job doesn't know why this is happening to him. In fact, if you read on the book, he never, ever finds out why. He didn't know a why, but he did know a who. He didn't let what he didn't know cancel out what he did know. Well, what did he know? Well, he knew this. For I know that my Redeemer lives. To be redeemed is to pay the, the price for um, this, some, actually a disadvantaged situation. For I know that, that my Redeemer lives and at last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, because that's what he thought was happening, boils head to toe, I'm wasting away, I don't know how much I have left, Yet in my flesh, I shall see God. When my um, wife, Rachel, was, was pregnant with our first, Ella, in the eight, at, at month eight, eight, the final month, for those who don't know about pregnancy, is, um, <laughs> there's nine months, guys. Um, she was in pretty much chronic pain. And there were two things that helped neither which of was me, all right? And so <laughs> might have made it worse, I don't know. But the two things that helped was knowing that this was not gonna last forever. Let me just say that, that um, you and I are, are mortal, which means that we don't last forever, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it is. Uh, it does not compare, does not stack up against eternity. In fact, when James talks about our life, it says it's like a mist, you know, like when you, like on a November morning, uh, you know, or February morning, like you breathe and you see your, your, your breath for a minute and then it goes. That's your life. So one is knowing that this is temporary. She, she knew that this pain won't last forever. But the real thing that sustained her was that she knew as soon as she laid eyes on her baby, as soon as she laid eyes on little Ella, not so now little Ella, but then little Ella, that the joy of seeing her face would swallow the pain, and it did. Without, we celebrate Easter because of what Jesus did on Good Friday. And a good question to ask is, is why did he die? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, 
but he didn't sin, so why did he die? Why did he endure such pain? And it was an immense pain. You know, have you ever, have you ever hit your finger with a hammer or you've gone through something deep? You might say the pain was, an excru- was excruciating. I had an excruciating day. Well, that word excruciating was a made-up word to describe the pain that happened when you went to the cross. The word excruciating literally means from the cross, pain from the cross. It was a new category of pain. And he endured that pain not for his sin, but for your sin and for my sin. It says something phenomenal in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. It says, though, for the joy, track this, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It's an understatement to say that joy and cross don't go together. For the joy, somehow he's able to look through the tunnels of time. And for the joy of seeing you Safe from your sins, and you safe from your sins, and you're safe from your sins. For that joy, he endured the cross. And this power in the resurrection of Jesus, this, this future joy is so powerful that it will cause you to have joy no matter what you are going through. You may not have a why, but you'll have a who. And that joy will sustain you. David in Psalm 23, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, he's not having a good day. I don't know if he was about to die or if he just felt like he was going to die, but it wasn't pleasant. But I will not fear. Why? Why why, why won't you fear? I don't understand. Because you're with me. Because you're with me. Your presence is a comfort to me. It's a joy to me. It's it's a peace to me. It's a peace to me that I, I don't quite even understand. But I have it. For I know that my Redeemer lives. Job knew that. Do you know that? This is what he wanted people to know. I love in verse, the verses before that. He, in 23, he's like, oh, man, that my words were written. Oh, that they were ascribed to a book. Oh, that they, with an iron pen and, and lead, they were engraved in a rock forever. He didn't feel great, but he knew something. He knew something. He knew something. And you can today know something. You can know that Jesus is not just in theory your savior, but he is your reality. Someone once said that we often turn to God when our foundations are shaking only to discover it is God who is shaking them. It is a gift if you're going through a tough time. Because maybe you can, for the first time, Not just see who you really are, but to see who God really is. The psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord 
is good. This is not a, a mental exercise. It's not something we know in our head. This is not something you'll learn in school. This is not something that you'll get after hours and hours of study. This is something that you know in your heart because Jesus himself will live. He'll give you something to know. Um, four years ago, my mom, some of you would know this, my mom got this rare autoimmune disease I had never heard of called Guillain-Barre syndrome. And she was almost instantly, within hours, um, completely paralyzed, unable to move, unable to talk, unable to breathe on her own, unable to eat on her own. And even though that she was paralyzed, paradoxically, she was in immense pain. And this is not hyperbole, but my, my mom is the toughest person I know. Um, she's, I mean, that little pound for pound in that five foot, three inch frame, the most resilient person I know. Um, just tough. And um, in, in that first week, it lasted for a while, but in that first week, I mean, we were, you know, gathered around her in ICU, and we were coaching her uh, to stand one more hour. One more minute. It was, it was tough. And as tough as she is, as resilient as she is, uh, I mean, you could sense like there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a real threat she could just break. Communication was, was tough, cause she, again, because she couldn't talk. And they had some kind of blinking system. Uh, I, certainly with technology, I would think you'd do something better than that. But anyway, that some blinking system that you, it would take 20 minutes um, for a sentence. And there was a moment in, in like I said, in, in, the, in, the, in the probably like the fifth day, I think it was where things turned. Her pain didn't turn. In fact, it got worse. But things turned. And Jesus met her. And there was something that she wanted us to know in that moment. And like I said, it took 20 minutes to figure out what she's saying and here's what she wanted us to know. This day, the day that she was experiencing right then and right then. Now, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And then she wanted to say something else. Okay, what do you want to say? second thing she said was, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. 
And then she wanted to say it again and again, and finally we got the idea. <laughs> that some way, somehow, in the midst of her suffering, physical, emotional, psychological, not knowing if she's going to make it or not make it, not knowing why, but she encountered a who. And joy sprung from her heart. Do you have that joy in the midst of circumstances? Or do you need to get that sale first? Or do you need to get that relationship first? Hey, you may get the sale, you may get the relationship, but it's not going to last. But there is something that will last. There is someone who will last. I know that my Redeemer lives. And on the last day, when nothing else will stand, he will stand. And if you are in Christ, you will stand. Do you have that kind of joy? Do you have that kind of peace? Do you have that kind of assurance? You should be in a relationship with Jesus, not because things are going to get better. In fact, they may get worse. You should be in a relationship with Jesus because we all need that kind of joy. We all need that kind of assurance. And the good news is you were made for it. And the even better news is that Jesus died and rose again to give it to you. Will you stand with me? There are two ways to think about history in, spot, in, in light of pain and suffering. One is to see it in the, as, as pain and, and, and like war, like to focus on the pain, to focus on the wars, the disasters, the suffering. And that is kind of how life is. And, and if you do that, if that's the center of, your, of reality for you, then things like Easter is like a fairy tale. And it's just, it's tradition. And it won't matter tomorrow. That's one way to look at history in light of pain and suffering. The other way to look at history in light of pain and suffering is to see that actually, that this moment, this resurrecting moment of Jesus, that Jesus Christ really did raise from the dead, that the tomb is empty and he is alive and he's ruling and reigning right here, right now. That that being the, the center of reality and that this this that the, the his death and his resurrection is how God feels about those he loves how God treats those he loves and that your experience in my experience in light of eternity and in light of what he do, has done and in light of who he is that our experience is the contradiction Easter is not the contradiction. Easter is the center. And our experience in this world is a contradiction. One day, he will wipe every tear. He'll get rid of every disease and every death. 
and He will take us to this new Jerusalem to be with Him forever and ever and ever and ever. Would you bow your heads with me? If you want to receive Jesus, it's, it's, it's a matter of of turning from yourself and turning toward him. And I wanna just lead those who want this in a prayer. The prayer is not magical, it's, it's the decision in your heart that, that you make and it's, it's what Christ does. But this prayer can be for you a, a way of expressing that faith, that expressing your heart. And you, you came here and like you just, it's like, yeah, okay, Brian, that was inspiring, but like, you know, I've, I didn't come here to do, I didn't come here to, I just came here to kind of check it off the box and move on. But maybe, maybe something is landing on you that's bigger than a service, a song, or a sermon. Maybe it's God's spirit landing on your heart. And I wanna lead you in this prayer as a, as a response to what God is doing in you. So in the quietness of your heart, if you would want to repeat this prayer. Jesus, I need you. I want to turn from trusting and relying on myself. And I want to turn to trusting and relying on you. Will you become the center of my life and forgive me and save me from my sin? Thank you for the gift of salvation. Please give me your Holy Spirit to confirm this reality that I will be with you one day and to lead me and guide me in following you. Amen.